Thank you for tuning in to the Restoration Podcast with James, Evan, and Dave, where we restore yesterday's tools for the craftsmen of today. Gentlemen, ladies, welcome back to the Restoration Podcast. I'm James, he's Dave, that guy's Evan. How are you doing? What's, What's up, up, guys? Man? Welcome back. How's everybody? Good. Doing well, doing well. Another day in the neighborhood, man. Wunderbar, wunderbar. Let's get it going. What are we talking about today? I know we got some interesting stuff. It's kind of a grab bag episode, I know. We got a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Uh, some updates, maybe some future projects, uh, some yes. you know future items with the podcast. We're going into a little bit of everything today. Um, so who wants to bring it out? What, what do you guys want to talk about today? So many uh, things to discuss. Yeah, I know. <laughs> some of the things that we've been sharing first are um, Dave's power wagons. And I oh. missed my personal tour of the power wagons, so I would like a debrief, please. You will get one. Just before we get into it, hey, don't forget. You guys can always reach us on Instagram at The Restoration Podcast. And if you want to be super cool and send us an email, which we do check, it's therestorationpodcast at gmail.com. Hit us up. There you anytime. go. Yeah, make sure to do that. We appreciate your comments, your, your concerns. Hey, criticism is great, too, because that just helps us get better and bring you better content in the end. The truth yep. is we suck, so tell us. Yeah, <laughs> tell us. Tell us we suck. So we can get better. We appreciate it. Yeah, right, this, that's is, it. this is episode nine. So if you've hung out for this long, you've either got an opinion going one way or the other. So I want to know what what you like, what you don't like, and what we should talk about. I want to say most of our listeners are actually accidental downloads. Perhaps yeah. no. Come but, on, you know, give us more credit than that. They're, they're going to they're going to the craft section of Apple Podcasts and they just misclick all the knitting podcasts and get us. <laughs> Oh, man. Oh, but knitting is so much fun. And knitting has higher ratings than we do right now. So if you're out there, right. give, us, give us an Apple iPod, Apple review, and uh, we can beat those knitters. Who knew so many old ladies listen to podcasts? Uh, I hey, knitting is an art. That's a craft. It's amazing <laughs> what they can do. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But, yeah. you know, stitching this episode back together here, Ooh. Dave, I know we have, <laughs> uh, we have a lot of different topics to talk about. And restoration doesn't just stem from tools and vices and universal woodworkers. Dave has a really, really cool opportunity where he picked up some awesome vintage trucks that he's going to completely redo, hopefully. Hopefully. And not get stuck. We might have another confessions video later on where Dave's like, yeah, <laughs> I haven't had time to do anything. But right now, he's really motivated. So we're, we're happy to hear about what Dave's working on with these awesome power wagons. So, Dave, tell us a little bit about that. Okay. So uh, I've been interested in these. So first of all, Dodge Power Wagons, built from 1947 through 1968 by Chrysler here in the United States. Uh, so these trucks are the actually the first civilian four-wheel drive pickup trucks manufactured in the United States. So the end of World War II rolls around. The GIs come home after driving badass trucks all over Europe and some to some extent in the Pacific Theater. And, um, and they wanted to have them on their ranches, on their farms, at their construction sites. And there was nothing available. It was only two-wheel drive pickup trucks. And they sucked. So they wrote 
Dodge or Chrysler, I guess, and Mass asking for a civilian four-wheel drive pickup truck. And so the engineers at um, at Chrysler responded with the Dodge Power Wagon. This thing is badass. Um, go ahead and look those up now or check out on the Instagram some pictures of what these trucks look like. They are nasty looking. They got a big winch in the front, a big um, off-road tires, um, three-man cab if you've got two skinny friends. And, um, yeah, they're just mean looking. So uh, I picked two of them up. I plan, uh, well, it was actually a two-for-one deal. There is a project truck that's restorable, and there is a parts truck that has a completely rotten frame. And my plan is to take these two trucks and merge them into one and drive around Philadelphia like a badass. Now, will, will either motor or <laughs> transmission turn? So, um, yeah, the the one truck has a uh, straight six flathead engine in it. It's a 230 cubic inch um, of displacement, I guess, as that goes. Um and that is free. I actually have not explored the other engine, which I believe is a uh, Chevy 350 uh, that was kind of aftermarket modified into the um, into the parts truck. So my goal is to restore this to the original engine. Although I have a big modern engine to run that I could run, I kind of want to go with the original just because I think it'll be more fun. Nice. Yeah. So. These are difficult to find. They're old. They were basically driven into the ground by those who own them, doing real hard work. And uh, to find two within 30 minutes of my house after a year-long search was absolutely like a miracle, and I basically jumped on them as fast as I could. Uh, they're kind of in demand by people that are into restoring trucks. Uh, so to get get one and a parts truck as well was kind of somewhat miraculous. So Yeah, so seeing, like... You know, Dave's journey with this here, where he's he's pretty fortunate to have the main truck as well as the parts truck so that he can do the restoration on it. Because it sounds like these parts either are hard to find or you pay an arm and a leg for them just to get them in, in your door so that you can get your restoration going. So having that parts truck, and I think this is kind of a common theme with a lot of restorations i mean aside from having something that's one off oftentimes you have to get the machine that you want and then find either another machine to cannibalize the parts off of it to repair the one you have because obviously they're not making these anymore it's not like you can go down to uh autozone and, and pick up parts for your <laughs> for your power wagon i mean right, you know, filters and brake lines and all the standard stuff you can probably make it work but like the, right. the main parts you have to have a, a project car so it's sometimes for me when i'm doing a restoration and i and i'm taking parts from another item that in order to repair my piece it, it kind of it's kind of a uh, i don't know what you'd call it it's, it, it gives makes me feel some kind of way about it where i'm like okay you know this is this is going to get taken apart and it's never going to work again but i'm going to use its parts to get my other piece going. So it's, it's, it's kind of it's, bittersweet, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It's bittersweet. That's the word bittersweet. So you, you're taking the parts from another one to get yours going again. But I think in the end it, it makes you happy because you have a, a good working piece that has original parts and it, it, it gets it going again. So that, that one didn't just get sent to the scrapyard. It's, it's helping out uh, in the future. Totally. Yeah. I, oh, I mean, didn't mean to cut you off, dude. 
good. Oh no, and that I think you're gonna uh, you're gonna run into it, and you you probably share, or maybe you'll hide when you have to make a modern substitute. And then the question is, are you going the route of, well, it's modern and it will allow it to run another 50 years, or are you going to take the extra effort to go make something new in the exact way that it was originally manufactured? So you you have, what do they call Like a respectful restoration where you, you try and build the old way just to make it as true as possible, even if you can't find a real replacement part. Sure, that sounds about right. I don't know if I've heard that term before, but that sounds, I completely understand what you're saying. Yeah, like you're trying to give that um, kind of pay homage to the to the way things were done back then. I mean, right. um, fortunately, like I feel lucky the 50, this, my, my main truck is a 1958 and they were made with a 12 volt um, starter. So the electrical system is all 12 volts. So I don't have to like, I can kind of, do things a little bit more modern i can use modern batteries in it i can put some modern electronics in it if i wanted to later down the road so that's like a big bonus i mean as far as some of the other parts yeah i'm going to try and do things as accurately period accurate as possible without you know going completely over the top if i have to do a one for one of something with a modern part for safety or for just you know i don't want to say ease of build because i'd rather put the effort in but you know it's one of those things. If you have to do it, you have to do it. I, I'm not trying to sell this. It's I want to be able to, you know, drive it and enjoy it. And um, if I was doing a completely accurate restoration to try and get the big dollars that some of these trucks will get, I would need to do it exactly accurate or exactly original. But this is going to be a fun truck, so I'm excited for the project, and I'm not trying to go completely overboard. Nice. Yeah. So I think you're you're going for more of the. I want it to, you know work for me and i want to be able to drive it and and use it for my purposes and it's you know you're not going to take it to the bear jackson auctions and stuff like that no 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 this is i mean to be honest this is i've never restored a truck before and i think that's one one thing i wanted to talk about a little bit with this um as far as our hobby this is one of those things where you kind of just have to jump in with both feet and i know that my skill level through youtube and reading books and all that stuff is going to grow to accommodate the challenges that are presented and like that's one of the biggest enjoyments for me personally with restoration and with learning new stuff or learning some of these shop skills is that you don't know what you don't know and you're going to run into problems and thank god with the internet we can easily overcome those with just a video or a little bit of reading it's great yeah i uh i want to jump in there and talk talking about jumping in way over your head this universal woodworker is is my comparison but not only the passive reading or youtube viewing but the community that we're a part of is so willing to share it's incredible i've had people bring me miles uh, ahead of where i would be on my own pace of finding literature or youtube uh, by simply sharing their experiences or sharing their tricks um so most of the knowledge that i'm i'm hopefully helping out with this podcast is really coming from people that I respect the hell out of um, that have graced me with their time to teach me to along this journey. So, you know, props to you. You're probably going to make quite a few friends. Um, and I'm sure the truck restoration group is going to be willing to see you succeed and give you good information. Yeah, they've been great so far. Just reaching out to certain guys and there's a ton of online, we've talked about this in the past, there's a ton of online communities, especially around Facebook, that are dedicated to 
this particular area of interest and everybody's so willing to share and that's what makes it kind of fun and i've already linked up with a couple guys that are local to philly the philly area that i can kind of bounce ideas off of and and talk shop with so yeah look forward to some pictures on that i'll put we'll post some on the instagram feed i'll look for me on uh, parts and restoration on instagram i'm posting on there all the time with this stuff so yeah lots and lots of fun but um yeah, so James, not to change the subject, but I'm ha- I really am curious how is the uh, how is the Universal Woodworker coming along, dude? Yeah, well, actually, it it, it plays right into that um, helping hand. Uh, the next big thing for me, I have the table saw. Uh, everything is assembled, minus putting the tabletop on. I got the bandsaw assembled. Um, still trying to figure out what a couple of loose bolts were supposed to hold up. Some ancillary guards, I believe. But um, for the most part, the, the table saw, the band saw, the boring machine are on. And I'm starting to, I got to figure out how to, to jack the, the giant joiner up into place. But that's one logistical move. Um, but my thoughts are really shifting towards getting power to the motor. And this motor is a century single phase, seven and a half horsepower motor. It was made in 1899. So it is. It was 17 years the senior of my machine. Um, needless to say, modern literature doesn't go so far as taking um, my motor label plate and giving you the NEC code regulation verbatim for how to wire it up and how to pass the sniff test if somebody came and asked questions. So uh, I have uh, since joined the Facebook Antique Vintage Motor Group and boy, electric motor group, and boy, those guys really know their stuff. Um, A lot of amazing suggestions, things I wouldn't have thought about. Um, The motor has a wiring for 104 or 208, and 208 is definitely different than 220, as I'm reading. Um, So folks have told me that I need to uh, install a buck booster, as well as um, some fuses. I gotta have overload and and, um, short circuit protection. I'm going to ha- want to have my own independent switch. Uh, a lot of things for me to consider. And I have the logistics of, I want to add a wood shop to my garage eventually so that this machine is not living in one of my parking spots. So when I'm pulling all this wire over, I want to be sensitive to pulling it to the wall uh, that I'm going to share with that wood shop. So when I do break ground on that, I can continue that wiring out into that side of the, the new building instead of having to re-pull this all again. So Absolutely. great. I've gotten so much uh, help. I mean, shout out to Anthony Shelton, Shelton Films on Instagram. He's got tons of great suggestions. He sent me all these pictograms for how to wire, what my uh, safety factor should be, um, information on how to size my minimum gauge of wire and things like that. So a wealth of knowledge. I actually got so much information so fast i wasn't able to react so now i gotta i gotta do my homework i gotta study up and find all these pieces and parts uh to interact with my panel and then i'll probably uh with that arrangement go back to the group and say this is what i got and um take my lickens if they've got uh more suggestions but i'm i'm happy to be learning this is good stuff and i really don't want to do something wrong with respect yeah, it's, it's always good to to share back with the group because i mean you know you get a lot of good feedback initially and then you go in and and try it yourself and then you make sure that you you know you're doing it right and you can always you can always go back 
and and check it out to make sure that it's good because i mean especially with electric motors you don't want to mess anything up and if you have you know an electric motor that you know is over 100 years old or about 100 years old you can you can do some damage to it and you don't want to ruin that electric motor and have to spend you know a good amount of money to get it rewound and or you know you blow a winding out but just just for the folks at home there james i know that some people they know these old electric motors and they're huge they're 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 massive motors give give them an idea of the the amperages so if you were to run it on on the low voltage and the high voltage what amperages would that draw yeah so uh the label plate um actually let me pull up the information the label plate says that it has uh at 104 um voltage it needs 78 amps at, that's a lot that's a yeah lot. that's a lot um, my garage service is 100 amps um so i would have to put i don't i i at that point you're talking dim the lights uh worthy amount of power um so yeah. what i'm gonna do is is wire it for 208 and that way that amperage is 39 amps um i'm still gonna need that's probably, still a lot but that's that's more manageable but it's it a lot still it is more manageable uh what i gotta do with my homework though is that it doesn't have a service factor uh so i'm gonna be conservative and um just assume that it's gonna be under heavy torque like you're pushing wood through all the tools at the same time right uh, right and then you got to do things for uh overcurrent you got to protect the wire that's going out there you got to protect the starter um, so I'm going to be conservative in my design. Um, it's it's going to be a lot, and I definitely way outside my comfort zone with electrical. But I also don't want my garage power to suffer. I don't want my house power to suffer, and I don't want to burn anything down because I skip a step. So I'm going to take my time, respect the process, probably spend a little bit of money to make sure that all the uh, I's are dotted and T's are crossed. But ultimately. It should uh, it should be good to go. Well, it sure. sounds like you're at least making the right steps. I mean, I saw some of the stuff on the Facebook. We talked about that, and you're getting great advice. And it's one of those things like you're gonna if you want to do it right, you really do have to reach out to the pros and make sure you're doing everything right. I mean, even yourself as an engineer, like you sometimes you really do need that expert opinion to get the right uh, to make sure you're heading in the right direction. Oh yeah. I'm <laughs> I am proud that I'm an engineer, but I am not an electrical engineer. There are so right. many engineering disciplines that I would be happy to pay if I had to for that expertise um, because it's not in my wheelhouse. Yep. Now, I'll, adm I'll admit here. So, you know, you got Dave working on those awesome power wagons. We got James working on the Universal Woodworker and getting that massive motor up and running again. But I think this is going to be pretty common to a lot of us. Right now, I'm in kind of the beginning stages but you know more more towards the middle of, of moving to a new house and I, I have have to get the logistics figured out for moving my whole shop okay so I don't have any large machines like bridge ports or or lathes like large lathes I have a do I do have a small craftsman lathe right I have some manageable pieces but still there's logistics involved with that and I think more often than not, I mean, well, there's a lot of damages that occur from improper use, but I think a lot of damages on pieces come from moving something and it's getting damaged. It falls over, it, it hits something else and, and it breaks. So I'm, I'm 
kind of boring these past couple weeks where I just need to figure out how do I get my stuff from point A to point B without anything being damaged. And, and I think this is a pretty important topic to, to talk about because almost everybody, you know, you move a couple times in your life. There, there's, there's very few people that stay somewhere for their entire lives and they don't go anywhere. They don't move to a new house and you got to make sure that you protect your stuff when you're moving. Now, luckily for me, I'm only going maybe about a quarter mile. Okay. So chances, yeah, chances of things happening are pretty low, but they still can. Now you guys that move, you maybe a thousand miles or move over a couple States. Now I, I, I feel for you because either you have a moving service and you got to make sure that they know what they're doing and they pack your stuff up with care or you do it yourself and you take that hit where if something falls and something breaks, it's like, man, I, I did that. I didn't secure it correctly. I didn't tie it down. And you're kind of, you're kind of bumming on yourself because, because that lasted, you know, it, it survived the past hundred years or whatever it was. And now it's broken. So. Yeah. It's scary stuff, dude. I've been going through the same stuff as far as moving stuff from my shop, my old shop and my old house to my garage here. And it's terrifying. I mean, like you, you have all these things you've invested, especially stuff that you've restored. Like you've invested time and energy and effort into bringing these things back to life. And then you got to, they're not really made to move easily. They all have a ton of gravity being heavy castings, like some of the bigger stuff anyway. But yeah, it's that like you run the risk of just ruining your stuff. And it's, it's scary, dude. I mean, I, I'm not to, you know, get emotional here, but like, if I dropped a Bridgeport casting trying to move from one place to another, like that's a ton of money. And I've also spent a lot of time getting it right and making it nice. And yeah, it's like, what do you do? What's the best option? There's really just taking your time kind of is, is, is the move and trying to make sure you get plenty of help and make sure you do it right. But yeah. you, you need to set up cameras along the quarter mile and you will bring each vice out on the engine hoist and, and roll each one individually. <laughs> Down yep. the road. That way, all uh, your new neighbors know exactly what's going on. Uh, I don't know if they'll like that. I try to. I want to keep it hidden for a while. We'll we'll see. But yeah, yeah. Eventually, you gotta let them know what's up. But we don't want all the vice lovers coming out of the woodwork and 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 you know robbing you. No, no, no. That's why I keep it hidden. You know. So. Have, but um, to to stay on to stay on your new place, have you done? I'm sure you have. What What is the, the daydream layout for your new basement shop? Okay, so I have I have kind of a, a shop predicament. So the, it does have a full basement, okay, but only right. half, of, half of it's finished. Half of it's unfinished, half finished. Now, the finished part of, of the house or the basement is very nice. You know, they had like a rec room, kind of like you go down and watch a movie. They had a projector and a projector screen set up. Um, cool. But... You know, now this is going to I'm buying the house. This is going to be my space and I, I need to adapt it to my needs. Well, I pretty much have to tear out the carpet in the room. So they put carpet in the basement and I don't think it's going to be that big of a deal. But yeah, that's easy. I, I need to tear out the carpet and get that space usable for what I want to I want to use it for. Um, so that that's kind of been a predicament with me because they it is a relatively recent addition and they finished that basement maybe two years ago. So I've been I've been working with 
basically just fighting with myself about what I want to do down there because there is the unfinished part and I'm pretty sure I could fit all my stuff in there, but I do want to be able to use the entire basement for my shop. So I'm, I'm working with that. I'm drawing up some plans and seeing, you know, where can I put stuff? How can I fit this in here? And ultimately, you know, when I get in there and start staring at the space, I will make the final decision uh, as to what I want to do. But, you know, you got to make the space yours. When you get in there, it has to work for you, has to flow the way you want it to flow. Because, you know, if you're not having fun in your own shop, you'll just spend less and less time there. If, if it's not set up the way you want it and the way you like, it's it's not going to be an enjoyable experience. So make sure that when you get a shop or you're looking at a shop space, that it's going to fit your needs and do what you need it to do, because that's very important. Yep. And uh, man with the plan there. So uh, garage is out because of car logistics, humidity logistics. The Well, yes. Well, one, I don't think my truck will fit in the garage anyway. Um but I don't really want to deal with the rust issues for these tools that I've spent uh, a long time restoring, vices that I've taken care of. Um, I know there, there's plenty of rust present preventatives out there that will help you a lot if you have to have them yeah. in a, a humid area. Um, but the basement is heated and cooled, so it's just a it's a great all-around solution to have every Thing down there so that you don't have to worry about the rust and uh, protecting your tools over the winter when you can't use them because um, the the it is a two a two car garage with two separate garage doors but my wife will be parking on the one side so there will be moisture track in and out constantly oh, so yeah, yeah. The, the basement's the best option for me so do you have a walkout is it a walkout basement? it is I, I that was my one requirement for a house that had to have a walkout basement because that's gonna these tools yeah, these tools and things that I get are heavy, and while they can be taken down the stairs, it's not something that I would enjoy doing. So I have to have the basement that has the walkout access. Now, is the walkout at grade, or do you have to go down steps to get into it from the walkout? Nope, it's right at grade. It's got a nice big slab outside so I can work on it and I can bring oh. stuff in. So That's the only thing it doesn't it doesn't have is I can't get my truck back there. So stuff will have to come through the yard. So in the future, if I get a sizable machine, I'll either have to bring it down in pieces that are manageable or I'll have to come up with some kind of plan to make sure it's supported. Because, you know, anybody who's tried to move something through soft, wet grass, it gets stuck. It tears up your yard. It's no good. Yeah, got to do the plywall. Uh, got to do the plywood bridge. You get six sheets of plywood and you just make a couple layers and you just rotate them around and and do it like yeah. egyptians do get some pipe get some plywood and just at yep. push her down is it a, a steep grade of hill will it take off yeah. on you not really no it's it's not it's not super steep it does have a, a grade sloping towards the back um but you know i do plan on getting a bridge port at some point so dave i'll be consulting with you about how you take that thing apart because it's going to go in the basement, and I'm going to get it there one way or another, but I feel like I'm going to have to take it down to its bare bones and then reassemble it in the basement. Because, one, it's not going to fit through the door, and, two, it's going to sink into the yard if I try to bring it down in one piece. So. And, yeah. And, and, then you're gonna, oh, and then you're going to get a universal woodworker, you mean. Absolutely. Yep, and we'll wheel that one down, too. That would, yeah. would be awesome. I was going to say, those bridge ports have a lot of gravity to them. 
And uh, I know a guy that put one into his basement the scary, stupid way and can bring some of that knowledge to the table. It's it's pretty exciting to go down that way. But at least you've got the... Uh, you got the walkout that'll make life easy for you. Yeah. And they're, they're but, easy to come uh, apart, too. It's only like you'd be surprised. It's like you need like three tools to take a bridge. Yeah, they are. I mean, I've, I've been watching some videos about how they come apart, and they are pretty simple. I mean, if you know what you're doing, but I can see where you could get stuck. Like, hey, how does this come out? And then that's when you end up breaking something if you don't know how it comes apart and it gets damaged that way. But what I didn't know as I was watching some videos and doing some research the right. the knee on a bridge port, you know, the part that the table sits on that goes up and down, sure. that, that weighs that weighs two hundred pounds just by itself, completely empty. That cast yeah. so it's it's heavy. Everything on them are mon- absolutely monstrous. And when I moved mine, I actually wound up leaving the knee on. So I took everything off and I the heaviest portion that was left was the the knee attached to the column. And I mean that's like a thousand plus pounds right there i want to say the column weighs close to a thousand by itself um don't quote me on that some people are going to be like oh well i, I don't really know it's, it's super heavy um, i would believe you i would believe yeah. you if you said that yeah uh, and, you know but so when you can strip them down to those bare components and if you can get it down to a thousand pounds i mean that's that's not a terrible move just in and of itself if you're not if you're talking moving over um you know weird terrain as opposed to moving over like a concrete slab floor where you could just kind of leave the thing alone and just roll it um yeah but yeah it does get a little exciting moving stuff that large and i cannot wait to get involved with you with that because it's fun maybe in exchange i you can help me get mine out of my non-walkout basement oh absolutely i will try my best (laughs) it's gonna take some ropes and rigging and maybe some uh some heavy equipment. I don't know. It's going to have to come up about 10 concrete stairs. Uh, I'm going to have to bust out the door frame to get it out of the building because I had to bust the door frame out to get it into the building. It's going to be pretty exciting. Yeah, this is a slightly <laughs> more complex project. And I know we already talked about this. We but did. Let us, let us not forget when we almost sent the base of James's Universal Woodworker through the floor <laughs> of the dock. <laughs> That was that was the scariest moment of of the restoration podcast right there when it almost went through the floor. We heard that floor crack and we're like, "Whoa, back up, back up, back up right now." And, and you know, none of those tools would be worth. I mean, they're only worth what they're worth to me, but none of those tools would have been workable without that base. If that base had cracked and I had lost all that shaft work, I it would have been gone. That would that would have been it. You would have just had to stay at that fellow's shop and just use it right there, kind of at an angle as the base stuck out of his floor. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Uh. Well, so this is transitioning into a uh, another moving heavy tools discussion. Um, I wanted to bring up one of the the folks, one of you awesome listeners, brought up. Uh, actually, I'll give you a shout out. Well crafted. What's up, man? Um, he hey. sent pick. He sent us some pictures of his uh, potential project. I didn't get if he bought it or not, or if he was he was thinking about it. He is also in the paper shopping uh, restoration game. So, Ooh. Dave, you got to give us an update on on yours. But his nice. seems to have um, a base. The, the center part of his base has two weld repairs, and okay. uh, he, he had asked the question, um, "How do you move something that's that's already got?" a repair done on it where you're you're worried that even strapping it up uh could cause enough 
uh, force on it. So I wanted to get you guys' opinion. Well, first of all, I mean, I'll, I'll certainly let let Dave get on this because he does have the paper chopper, and I'm sure he's experienced with this. But I've noticed that if a it's probably a braze repair if it's on cast iron. That's more guess, than likely though. what it is. Braze repairs are often stronger than the original castings themselves. Yep. They are they are heavy duty when they're done correctly. Now there are plenty of people who don't know how to do it correctly, but if it's done correctly, you really don't have to worry that much about the repair breaking because it, it's 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 really strong. But I mean, I'm, I, there's all types of uh, circumstances and and events that may happen. So make sure that you're being as safe as possible and lifting your pieces properly so that you're not putting pressure on certain areas if you're concerned about them. But if, it, if the repair is done correctly, I think you'll be okay. So, Dave, what do you have to say about that? Yeah, I second that. I mean, uh, again, a lot of times welds and brazes tend to be the strongest part of that, um, of that uh, whatever that assembly of parts are. The weld is oftentimes stronger than the substrate. It's like we were talking about, just like you just said. Um, and then my advice for um, uh, what caution to go to use when the time comes to lift something heavy that's got to repair, I say go for it. Honestly, that's just my opinion. There's different ways that you can go for it. Um, as far as you know, if you don't want to put a lot of strain and stress on one specific part, perhaps you can. Um, maybe make temporary framework around it, you know, utilizing existing bolt holes, maybe to attach onto that, um, maybe keep the machine in, in one piece as far as keeping several components together so you don't have to put as much strain on an individual part, maybe kind of share the load among other sub-components. I don't know if I'm making sense here, but um, no, yeah. No, my, that makes sense. My main advice is just to, to give it a shot. What do you have to lose? I mean, yeah, it was for already sure. if it was already broken once, if it breaks when you move it, you fix it. You can either fix it again or, or find a, you know, that'll give you an opportunity to, to grow your skill set. You say yeah. you get a break and you don't want to, and you don't want to, um, let me start that over. You break something when you're moving something heavy. You have to, you're either going to scrap it or you're going to fix it. And if you don't know how to fix it, go on YouTube and learn how to fix it. And if you don't have the equipment to do it, go on Facebook Marketplace and find the cheapest deal you can get on it and, just go for it. I mean, this is all about having fun and learning. I think anybody, uh, so I'm 32 years old, anybody from my generation, very few of us outside of the trades have a lot of hands-on experience because our whole existence has been a disposable society. So when you get into some of these older machines, you don't really necessarily have the skill set to fix them. And if you don't, you know, get the skill set, figure out how right. to do it. And that's part yeah. of growing and learning. Yeah. I, I, uh, I also second the go for it, um, but keen eye to go look out for those kinds of things because if it doesn't seem if it doesn't seem like it's going to be able to make the the trip with you, then that's one of those questions we asked early in the podcast: Is this something you want to get into if it doesn't go the way that you're planning? Um, if the well if the weld fails on you during the lift, then it's your opportunity to make it better because whoever repaired it last time didn't do a good job. But I agree that most of the time the welds are usually really strong, but it could mean that the casting itself um, wasn't the greatest, in which case you might be doing a repair next to repair. So just being smart, um, knowing that it will be a risk, um, depending on how you tackle it. I always uh, like to take it apart in smaller pieces because um, less weight just means uh, easier uh 
to manipulate in and around corners and upstairs. And you can also get a few buddies to help you hand carry things if, if it really comes down to it. Um, right. But yeah, I, I always recommend, you know, if, if you're if you're down to be to deal with the consequences, you got to give it a try. Just, you know, you, you could just be overthinking it. Worst case. Right. But then the opposite end of that, if you're attempting to move something and you don't see any repairs and then you go to lift it and you see you you notice a crack, you notice um, a piece coming off or something bending that probably shouldn't be bending. You need to make sure you evaluate that whole situation and make sure you're not putting undue stress on other parts of the machine or the part or whatever it is that you're lifting or moving to make sure that you don't make something worse because nothing, nothing's worse than lifting something up and you saw a, a section of the casting that was cracked and something looked like it was bending. And then when you lift it up, that whole part falls off and it breaks something else or damages it further. So you need to make sure that if you see something wrong, you stop and you make sure that what you're doing is appropriate and you have the amount of straps or the amount of uh, support that it needs so that nothing gets damaged further. Because um, it's easy to repair something, you know, when it's only maybe one spot or a couple spots. But if you break a complex casting and you have multiple pieces fall off, that can that can turn into a, a long day real quick if you, if you need to repair that. So make sure you're you're being as safe as possible. And I, I would also go that don't put your life in front of a machine, you know. If it's, it's a piece of iron, yes, we want it to keep going and, and you want it to be working again, but never, never try to save a machine over, over yourself because, you know, if you don't want it to drop on your foot, you don't want to hurt yourself, you want to make sure that you're being as safe as possible. So I, I hope that helps you guys um, out there if you're trying to move a machine that you know is either damaged or has repairs. 95% of the time, it'll probably be just okay. It'll be, it'll be, it'll go perfectly fine and you'll be all right. But then sometimes things do go wrong. So make sure you're being safe out there. Yep. I, I, again, I'll second cautious eye during the move is just as important as the cautious eye before you start. So if it doesn't seem like it's going the right way, find a way to regain control, take another minute, go plan B or C. There's always a, a, other options out there. Um, Given that, Dave, how uh, how's your paper chopper moving along? It's going good. So I have the entire thing apart. I, it's stripped down to all of its components. I've de-rusted all of the um, individual castings. Most of the main um, most of the main like support castings, like the the base and the table, have been uh, primed with like rusty metal primer. Because as much of the rust as I got off, there's still some like pitting. That's sort of left behind. Um, I've left the um, any sliding surfaces or machine surfaces free and clear of paint. And um, the next step for me is going to be to I'm actually going to paint it. And I'm not sure how I feel about this. And I'll ask your guys' opinion about this. My thought was I would assemble it and then I would paint it assembled. Um, I just don't know that I I don't know that it's necessary to. There's certain places where I won't mind if there are if it's just primer like on the inside where two mating surfaces are together and i feel like that's maybe how they did it in practice although i just don't know so i i'm, I'm anxious to get it back together and i'm what i'm probably going to wind up doing is painting each thing individually and then assembling but i've been tossing around in my head whether to assemble and then paint so 
we'll see. Yeah, sometimes, I mean, painting it uh, assembled is is the way to go because you might, you know, for certain things, sometimes you paint over bolts, you paint over certain parts, and you want it to have that nice, crisp, finished, painted surface where as if you painted it and then put the bolt on, it can strip some of the paint off, it can scratch things. Um, right. So having it together and painted might be the way to go. It, it depends on your, your specific situation. But sometimes with the more complex shapes and castings, painting it individually will save you a ton of time and headache in the end because you can get on it into those nooks and crannies and paint those surfaces a lot better than you might be able to if you had it assembled because you might need to move it or flip it over or look at a different side that might not be readily available to you if you uh, assembled it prior. So I would suggest maybe, uh, like you said, you know, painting it individually and then assembling it. Um, I, that's usually what I do. I paint it when it's in pieces. So that way I can make sure I get all the surfaces and everything's ready to go that way. And it usually works well for me. Yeah. That's a good, not, oh, go ahead, buddy. Oh, yeah. No, I, I, I agree with everything Evan says there. The only things I would say is um, you just got to be mindful about painting around fasteners that you will need to use for adjustment later. There are the set and forgets that, yeah, you, you probably could fasten that up and, and paint it, no problem. But um, if you're planning on using a rattle can, then the best way to get that nice, clean, straight on angle is with it disassembled but then you got probably a lot more machine surfaces that you gotta protect in that painting evolution where if it's all assembled you may just have to protect uh, a smaller volume of items yeah i'm actually excited so th the thing is with this machine i'm going to be hand painting it um which i think is a little more period correct i think this was like a 1915 ish or actually no, no no i'm sorry i'm thinking of something else um i think it's like 1905 1906 that time period um and to be honest i mean i've been a little bit this machine is it's just by far one of the heaviest machines that i've worked on and actually done a full restoration on and it's so difficult to move any of the parts around that i my thought process was if i could get the base put together and paint it in place it would be a little easier to get some of the other pieces in together and i i hate even admitting that because it's kind of a lazy step but this, oh my God, this thing is so freaking heavy. <laughs> I mean, it's awesome. I love how heavy it is, but it is freaking hard to move these parts. And fortunately, I've got the, I've got the crane, so I can make that work. But I was gonna say, oh, com man. coming from the guy on the restoration podcast, the only guy with an overhead crane, and he's planning about it being heavy. heavy. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I can make, I can make all the work. I'm, I'm like. Uh, I've got this like tough guy streak. I'm trying to be like, oh, I'll just pick everything up and just throw it around. And I do that. And I'm like, oh man, I'm really tired. Like this sucks. This isn't fun. So, yeah. but it's cool. I think that's, I'm probably going to wind up doing it, you know, piece by piece. Once the base is put together, I think I'll do that. Yeah. Well, as you guys can hear, my cat is uh, wanting some attention. So I'm going to probably spin this towards, uh, I think our last topic before we round it out for the evening. Uh, we wanted to give folks a little bit of a sneak peek on some of our thoughts for the podcast to come, some of the ideas that we're rattling around in our uh, thoughts, and really give everybody, again, another voice to uh, let us know what you're thinking, because we really want to talk about what you all want to listen to. So we'll uh, get into a couple of ideas we've thought about. Uh, it may 
involve some participation or outreach um, or, you know, shaking of hands and kissing of babies to, to line them, some things up. But um, moving forward, beyond just the helpful tips and, and focused topics, uh, we really do want to bring more people into this conversation, especially experts or skilled tra uh, craftsmen in the art of restoration in all the different disciplines. Um, personally, right now where my brain is, I'd love to talk to somebody about antique motors, uh, electric motors, uh, even like two-stroke engines would be really cool. Um, so I'm going to do some digging, see if we can find somebody that wouldn't mind sharing their voice as well as their uh, their expertise on, on in a subject matter like this. Do you guys have any uh, thoughts of what would be cool to interview or to to go deep into in the future yeah i think that's that's the biggest thing that that i was looking forward to is getting to talk to uh experts in the field because i mean we know a little bit about what's going on but we're we're certainly not an expert in any way i mean i think dave might call himself a, a self-proclaimed expert in all things all oh things God. rusty no i'm just kidding but you know <laughs> an we, expert we in do, breaking things then yeah, we do <laughs> we do know a lot about what we're doing and, and we've we've worked through that we've learned a lot as well um but there are people that have been doing this for 20 30 40 maybe even 50 years um i don't know if the guys that have been doing it for 50 years will be on instagram but <laughs> if there's Taking somebody out the there boomers, i like it yeah if there's somebody out there that you guys think hey this guy or this this gal knows what they're doing they've been doing it for years you need to talk to them about X, Y, Z. Please let us know because we're, we have a, a group of people that we're interested in talking to, but we certainly don't know them all. So if, if there's somebody out there that has taught you a lot or you know knows their stuff, please reach out to us and let us know because we want to bring them on the show. We want to share their knowledge with you guys and make sure that you are getting the best sources we possibly can because the people who are out there in the trenches doing this day in and day out, they are the ones that we all learn from and we can all gain something from with our restorations. So please hit us up at our podcast. I'm sorry, not our podcast on the Instagram at the restoration podcast or our Gmail, the restoration podcast at gmail.com. Yeah. yeah. So Think about the person who's taught you the most. I mean, every, there's lots of guys out there that know a lot. But only a certain select few really are able to transfer that knowledge in a way that makes it easy to understand. Think about that person who is an absolute mentor in your process or that you know has has really brought guys to the next level. We want them on the show. So, so hit us up with them. Yeah. So I can't be the only one with a teaser. Do you guys have a special uh, focus in restoration that would just be really cool to get a deep dive perspective from an expert? I would be really interested to know about brazing and, I guess, technically welding or getting pieces of cast iron to stick back together. So the primary uh, way to do that is with brazing. I've seen that a lot. I've seen some beautiful braze repairs. I've seen some terrible braze repairs. Now, everybody and their brother has a way that they think it should be done. I would love to learn about braze repairs. So if you do braze repairs all the time or you know somebody who does braze repairs, please tell them to contact us because I want to know what's going on with that. Because sometimes you get parts that you have 
no way of getting a new item or something from another machine and you have to repair the one you have. So I need to know that. I think a lot of you guys out there in listener land need to know that. So that would be a, a great thing to talk about. And for, for me, I'm, I'm in the throes of working on an old truck and I don't really know much, anything about engines or transmissions, um, more complicated, more complicated machines than the average tool. Um, and I think that the person who does vehicle restorations has a certain level of perspective that, um, they have to be kind of an expert. They have to be kind of a jack of all trades. You have to understand electrical, you have to understand uh, electric motors, you have to understand engines, you know, uh, gas or internal combustion engines. You have to understand gears and gearboxes and all kinds of different components. I'm interested in talking to that guy that can kind of, that kind of knows a little bit about all those things and can bring some of that expertise to the table, at least from, from, um, what's going on with me right now. I'd love to learn more about that. I, uh, I have a few more if you want me to rattle them off. Yeah. Send it. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it would be super cool if we could round up, uh, a diehard antique shop owner, somebody who has Ooh. the history uh, to have an eye for any uh, vintage or old piece of machinery or even piece of furniture or shop shop furniture. Uh, the wisdom that that's with those folks is incredible. So just you know, not only that, how how they can assemble such an amazing collection to have a business around it, but you know, what are the well, the trials and tribulations of having an antique shop or a, a tool shop like that. Um, I I feel like we are spoiled with the vice expert on the restoration. Oh no, I'm no. We got him. We got the other him. the other the other so place modest. in this Instagram world that I feel sorely out of place and out of a depth of knowledge is axes. There is so many axe restoration guys out there and they are axes and i will be the first to admit i don't know if i'm looking at a pile of rusty axe heads what's the right one what's the diamond in the rough so somebody in that world uh to shed some light on what is so special uh in the axe world and what to keep your eye out for um what else I'd love to talk to an old school machinist. I always find these guys to be really intriguing. Some guys that were that were in the trenches back when America made stuff on manual machines. Those guys have such a wealth of knowledge, and um, it's just cool to talk to to some of those old timers because they bring a certain level of uh, humility that I, I think is somewhat lacking in today's society. And um, I don't know if we can find anybody that does or would understand podcasting that's of that generation, but uh, I think it's, I'd love to get a few of those guys on because they're super cool to talk to. And like, this kind of goes back to what we wanted to talk to before, you know, some of that, that actual real experts, guys that been there, done that, got the t-shirt, all that stuff. We want more of those guys on. Absolutely. I think that's, that's a good uh, selection of topics. I think that, those alone will take us, you know, more than just a few episodes to, to get through. And I think that we will have uh, some great content coming up for you guys. Again, if you have anything that you need to share with us or you have uh, somebody that you would like us to try to interview and talk to, please make sure you hit us up on our Instagram at the restoration podcast or on our Gmail, the restoration podcast at gmail.com so please make sure you're keeping in contact with us about that any final thoughts before we sign off for 
the evening. Here's gentlemen. Yeah, one last one for me. I was really excited. Uh, I, I was just tickled pink that some guys are reaching out and sharing their projects with us, especially ones that they know that we're kind of somewhat involved with. So cool to um, – I can't wait to – now. You know, I'm going to reach out to uh, to Well Built to talk about – Well Mate, was it Well Built, Well Made? I'm so sorry. I think um, uh, Well Crafted. Well Crafted, thank you. Um, well Crafted, I'm going to be hitting up as soon as we get off this call to talk about choppers because there's not a lot of guys out there that have screwed around with them, and I'd love to talk shop with someone that is in the trenches doing the same thing I'm doing. I'm sure you guys can relate. If you're into this stuff that we're into, reach out. Show us what you're doing. We're into it. Yep. We love that feedback. Um, and also, we really appreciate everybody listening. And uh, if you know other folks that uh, are into this stuff, share it. I mean, there's no better compliment we can get than getting your ratings online and getting you to share with uh, like-minded folks. Um, and also, I'm getting a dig. Uh, I'm getting uh, – I am entertained with the, uh, the hashtags and the stories that we are being tagged in on Instagram. Uh, that one guy – one guy shared the um, the leftover washer at the bottom of the evaporous bucket. I mean, that is life. <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> gotta love it. So keep it up. We we love we love having you guys with us. Thanks a lot. Yeah, thank you. Make sure you download the Restoration Podcast wherever you get your podcasts, and let us know what we can do better because we're always looking to learn, always looking to improve, and make this content valuable for you. We appreciate it. Thank you for your listenership, and thank you for listening to the Restoration Podcast with James, Evan, and Dave, where we restore yesterday's tools for the craftsmen of today. Yeah. Thanks. Nice. Bye. Bye. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> That's the forever sign-off there. <laughs> Dave, Dave throws hands with the with the Harbor Freight lady. <laughs> she, she gave me a look like, you know, this tool's gonna break. You better buy the protection plan. And I was like, yeah, I know it's gonna break, and I'm not buying the protection plan. I'm gonna throw it right in the circular file where it belongs. Then she took <laughs> then she took a chair and broke it over your back. <laughs> gave yep. you the people's elbow. All the people are out there going, Jerry, Jerry, Jerry. Oh, <laughs> Yeah, this one.